0: Well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. Um, Over this next three weeks, the Easter period, we're going to break from from our series in Colossians. So we're going to come back to that in in, uh, the end of... Well, I think it's the first week in May, actually. But the next three weeks, it'll be a little different. The title of this morning's message is The Greatest Expectation and the Biggest Disappointment. So often in life, we... We experience our biggest disappointments because we had the wrong expectations we expected something it didn't happen and we're disappointed and one way to avoid many of these disappointments is to ensure we have the right or realistic expectations and as christians it is so important that we have the right and biblically based expectations so that we avoid the unnecessary disappointments that will inevitably arise through having wrong expectations. As a church, when we take people, some of you know this as we've gone recently through new members course, we want to go through that course so that you have right expectations of the church, so that in time as if you come into membership, you, you don't become disappointed because you anticipated or expected something that just didn't happen. We don't want to to present us as a church just to get you into membership of this church we want to be realistic about that and so that's how we approach the new members course so right expectations are important and this morning as we celebrate palm sunday aware of that this morning it is palm sunday this morning as as we celebrate Palm sunday a day for the Jews of great expectation, great expectations. <clears throat> we celebrate what we see in the Bible. If you look into your Bibles at, uh, at um, Luke chapter 19 and verse 28, you'll probably see it's entitled, The Triumphal Entry of Jesus. The Triumphal Entry. The Triumphal Entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So would you turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, and we'll read this event from verse 28. We're going to go through to 44. And when he had said these things, as Jesus, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany, at the mount which is called Olivet, he said to the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why, asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it and they brought it to jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt they set jesus on it and as he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road and as he was drawing near already on the way down from the mount of olives the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise god praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus wept. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And when he drew near the city, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Here Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, surrounded by great crowds, many of them who had come from the tomb of Lazarus. They'd seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And they they were joining with Jesus as he was going into Jerusalem. And then others who knew and heard about Jesus, they they gathered into the crowd and they 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 were rejoicing and praising god for all the mighty works the scripture says luke tells us the mighty works that they had seen performed by jesus christ they had seen lazarus raised from the dead i'm sure that would if we saw someone raised from the dead and i think we would probably want to go on a bit further and see what what's this what's this person going to do where's this going to go And when Jesus got near to Jerusalem, he told the disciples to go into the village in front of you, and there you will find a colt that nobody had ever ridden or sat on, and bring it to me. In the Gospel of Mark, he says that if they ask what they're doing, tell the owners that the Lord has need of it, and that the colt will be returned immediately after Jesus rode on it into Jerusalem. It's interesting. I think if I said, "Hey, Matt, you go down the road and get that car," just tell them I have need of it. You know. Um, it's amazing that these people, do, but that's what he said, that that's, that's what would, was taking place. But we, wonder, we may wonder why, why this detail was recorded in scripture. All four of the gospels include this detail. Well, if we go to the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9, we see that what was taking place was the fulfilment of prophecy some 500 years earlier. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold your king. This is 500 years before. Behold your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That would be amazing to, 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 you know, they they would have expected, if they understood that prophecy in its completeness, they may have, had a different position towards Jesus when he rode in. Because they were, because talking about a king, you don't normally associate a king riding on a donkey, do you? Or expected well, in those days, on a horse or a camel or, or even a chariot, but on a donkey. Here, in the minds of the people, though, they understood something of this prophecy. Jesus was entering into Jerusalem as a king, as Zechariah. Zechariah had promised but in the minds of the people he was going to be a king who was going to overthrow the Roman opposition Jerusalem was under the tyranny of the Romans at that time and that's what they expected their expectation was a king who would free them from Romans tyranny a king who would sit on the throne of Jerusalem and reign like David of old that was their expectation that's what they anticipated And they shouted their praises, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Interesting, when the Pharisees heard these shouts, they they came to Jesus and said, You should rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees would have considered the people's praise as blasphemy. And Jesus, however, responds to their request by saying, if we shut these people up, the very stones would cry out in praise. You know, I, I, what an answer. I, I, you know, I can only imagine that this would have left the Pharisees both speechless and fuming. You know, having come to, and, and to Jesus, they stopped this. But Jesus says, well, it's a very, if they weren't to, to praise me, the very stones would cry out. Obviously, that answer is a revealing something of who Jesus claimed to be. And now as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem, with all the praises and cries of Hosanna ringing in his ears, with people laying palm branches on the ground, you can imagine it, he's riding into Jerusalem. People are praising him, putting branches on the ground to make the the, 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 the journey a little bit more comfortable for him. All this adulation, all this praise that is going on, all this commotion that is taking place, And right at that very point, he looked at the city of Jerusalem and he wept. He wept. Not what you probably naturally would think, you know. You'd naturally think, hey, you know, this is great. Look at all these people. Look at what's taking place. But when Jesus looked, he wept. He wept because he knew that although the people were receiving him as their king thinking they would go, he was going to deliver them from the Romans. He knew that not many years from that day, Jerusalem, as we read earlier, and all its inhabitants, inhabitants would undergo destruction. He wept over the blindness of the people. John Piper calls his tears as Palm Sunday Tears of Sovereign Mercy. I love that. Palm Sunday Tears of Sovereign Mercy. Jesus, we know, describes himself as gentle and lowly. And here we see the King of Kings riding into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey and tearfully expressing his compassion for the people of Jerusalem. And we must never see Christ's tears and compassion as weakness and not see his tears as lack of faith. Certainly we should never see Jesus' tears as a denial of his sovereignty. Tears, for us, do not deny our faith. It reflects our humanity. And people will think, oh, you're you're crying over that situation, you're tearful over that situation. Where's your faith, brother? Where's your faith? No, it's just a reflection of our humanity. It's not a denial of our faith. And this expectation that the, people had, the crowds had, to save them. Incredible expectation. They were expecting this was going to be a big, big deal. But just one week later, many of the crowd who were shouting as Jesus rode in, Hosanna, save us, Lord save me, were shouting crucify him, crucify him. We can't imagine that for many of the crowd, and I would suggest even the disciples, the disappointment that the king that they were expecting to free them was now going to hang on a cruel cross, abandoned by so many of Christ's followers. One week, he's going to be the king. He's going to set us free. He's going to set us free from Rome's tyranny. The next week, he was hanging on a cross. The irony is that Jesus... Was not a king in the way they expected to be, was and is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John Piper says this was an event of insight and misunderstanding. The insight gave the people joy, but the misunderstanding brought about the murder of Jesus just a few days later, and then 40 years later, the destruction of Jerusalem. We often don't we refer to what a difference a week makes in politics. We see a difference over a week in politics. Well, what a difference a week made here. What a difference. Feelings of disappointment that must have been there, changing their emotions, that changed their actions from worship to murder. Worship to murder. And this morning I just want to use this to go to, look into some areas of our Christian life where we could be disappointed and then to look at what we can expect as a Christian. Their expectation was wrong. They were disappointed. So first of all, let's look at some areas of potential disappointment. Here was a massive disappointment all because they had wrong expectations. If only they had realized that this king was humbly riding into Jerusalem, was God incarnate, God in the flesh, and their cries of Hosanna, Lord save us, was in fact his very mission, Lord save us, his very mission. Not the way they saw it, but that was his mission, that was his purpose. Not to save them from external oppression, but the salvation of their souls. If they had understood the prophets of old correctly, and that this very person were riding into Jerusalem, who he was, they would understand that he was the Messiah, he was the Messiah. God's son coming to them understanding that he would be hung on a cross with a crown of thorns not a crown of gold so that their sins their sins past present and future would be forgiven if they had realized that if they had understood that i don't think they would have been disappointed but that's not what they expected and we all go through life with all sorts of expectations every day. And sadly, because they're not always based correctly, on, 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 on we, we become disappointed. You know, you've come here this morning with expectations. You've probably got an expectation right now that I will not preach for more than 35, 40 minutes. Um, if it's under, you'll probably be happy. If it's over, you're probably disappointed. You know... Uh, Often bothers me, I told Matt, I'd say, it often bothers me, Matt, when, when I'm preaching, he'll say to me, oh, I'm really looking forward to it, really looking forward. And I think, oh, that expectation that he's got, you know, uh, just pray for me, <laughs> don't, don't expect too much. Um, but but um, we have so many expectations. I want to look at some more serious ones, of areas of life that we might, be disappointed in because we've got the wrong expectations. Those of us who are married and we go into marriage, we have expectations about marriage and our spouse, don't we? I wonder, have you ever expressed to your spouse or or another family member your disappointment in them? I'm really disappointed in you. I'm disappointed you did that, I'm disappointed. It's, It's often a term that's used. For some of us, we may have entered into marriage with a view and an expectation based on the best of the Hollywood romantics films. You know, all lovey-dovey and, you know, you, you see these, you see, I'm not saying it can't be lovey-dovey. we married 53 years, so we're, we're still together. But, you know, you, 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 you see things on uh, television the way a spouse reacts to another spouse. Do you, ever, do you ever think, oh, I wish my spouse would do that to me? You hear that some uh, pastor uh, he just doesn't give his wife um, <coughs> flowers on on, on uh, Valentine's Day, but he gives them flowers in the bedroom and in and in the lounge. And you think, my husband—I'm not sure he gives me any flowers at all—but at least he's in the lounge. And you become disappointed. You can have expectations, and expectations because caused by comparison. Caused by what you see elsewhere. Our friend Dave Harvey in his book, uh, it's a great book. If you're married and you've never read it, I'd encourage you to read it. When Sinners Say I Do. It's when sinners say I do. When, when I said I do to June, I, I as a sinner said I do to another sinner. And he talks about blowing away this expectation when he talks about waking up with the worst of sinners. Now, he doesn't mean when I wake up with June, she's the worst of sinners, okay? I'm the worst of sinners. It's an understanding, you know, Paul, Paul, Paul's journey in his Christian life was the least of the apostles to the worst of sinners, okay? If we're growing in God, we become more aware of sin, even while we're putting sin to death. But there are other things we become aware of. And he's not talking, Dave, about your spouse is worse, the sinners, but you. I wonder, are you disappointed, perhaps, in your marriage? Disappointed, not necessarily in marriage, but relationships. Relationship with friends. Relationship with co-workers. Relationships with people in the church. Do you think, do you have an expectation, as Matt and I, as pastors and elders of this church, that we're perfect? Those of you who know us enough know That's ridiculous. But it's, it's, you know, but you can have an expectation when, you know, a good way to tell, when somebody blows it, do you say, oh, I'm shocked, I'm disappointed. You've just shown your own self-righteousness when that happens. We are all sinners. So you're disappointed in your marriage because you have unrealistic expectations. For those of us who are parents, we can often have high and unrealistic expectations of our children. I wonder, I wonder how often, as a parent, have you uttered the words to your children, I'm disappointed in you, I am disappointed. I can tell by the smiles that that's happened. I'm disappointed in you. When very often we're guilty, we're guilty of the very same sin or failure as our children but we just do it in a more mature way. You know, their, their selfishness means writing on the wall or something, or in the bedroom, or in the, in the lounge, or, you know, kids when they're young, they'll write, get hold of a pencil colour or something and write everywhere, don't they? But that selfishness is different for us as more mature adults. But it's the same route. It's the same route. Maybe. you be... Maybe you heard your parents or others, perhaps leaders, leaders in church, expressing their disappointment in you. And now you think that maybe when you sin, God is disappointed in you. Let me say quite clearly, unreservedly this morning, if you are a child of God, he is never disappointed in you. How do I don't know that? Because he never expected you to be sinless. He never expected you to live without failure. Love this from Gentle Lowly, Dane Ortlund. He said, Christ does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness or renewed pardon with distress and need for, em- need for emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless, a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. That's why Jesus came. Now I can't say that Jesus kind of turned it around. Oh, he kind of wants you to sin. No, but he he understands and God understands. We will sin. And oh, we do fail. And Jesus is neither flustered, frustrated, nor disappointed when we sin. You see, we'd only be disappointed when we have an expectation. And if we, God doesn't have that expectation of us. So he's never going to be disappointed in us. Now, we could talk, we haven't got time this morning to talk about God being pleased with us. But he's never disappointed. And so we can, because of our own, perhaps, upbringing, we could think, well, that's, can be disappointed in me somebody said to me be disappointed there are many other areas of life that we can experience disappointments because we have unrealistic expectations this morning i want to focus on the more serious disappointments that we might experience about our christian life a number of years ago somebody came to me in the church wasn't in this church so None of, you, none of you think oh i wonder if it was so, and they said to me you know peter this christian life doesn't work so okay interesting so you went up to heaven. you died you went to heaven and you knocked on heaven's door which i don't know why we always say peter's the one who opens it but anyway but peter opened the door and he said why should i let you in and you said well because i believe and trust in the blood of jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and he says, tough, too bad. Then you could say, this Christian life didn't work. Now, I know the Christian life is not just about getting into heaven. It's more than that. But the reason that he was saying it didn't work is because he had the wrong expectation of being a Christian. He had a, he had a sickness. And that sickness was still with him, even after becoming a Christian, or proclaiming Christ, confessing Christ. Because some people have been taught that way. You know, come to Jesus, everything will be sorted out. See, our needs will be met, but not our wants. Sometimes we confuse needs and wants. Our needs, our spiritual needs are dealt with. Our need for the forgiveness of sin. Our need for an eternal life with God. Go on to a bit more about that in a moment. He have come with the wrong expectation. And sadly there are many, many Christians who who have expectations of what they believe they've read and understood in their Bibles, but without understanding that the Bible, the scriptures, not only talk about the kingdom of God now, but the kingdom of God to come. And sometimes dragging in those scriptures from the kingdom to come into the kingdom now. As Christians, we say we live between the already, that which is, has come, and that which is to come. And because of a wrong understanding, they become disillusioned, disappointed. Or, in some cases, what Paul talks about pe- people in his letter to Titus, that the time is coming when people would not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Read that in Titus. Having itching ears, wanting to hear teaching that, 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 that projects health and wealth, become a Christian and all will go well for you in this life. That's why the health and wealth churches are huge. Who wouldn't want to hear a message that you say, if you, you do this... You'll never be sick. You'll always be healthy. You'll be wealthy. Rather than the message of the gospel is to come to Jesus, take up the cross and follow him. You know, Jesus said, you will be persecuted. Oh, I, that, that's, that doesn't itch my ears as well as that one. I think I'll go with the first. But well, that's the problem. Matt talked a few weeks ab- back about the danger of false teaching. And one of the devices used is to misquote and use scripture in such a way we have false expectations R.C. Sproul says the issue for us regarding false teaching is not that which is clearly wrong but that which is nearly right most of us in this room as Christians we, we can see what's clearly wrong but we need to go to the scriptures and one another to check out if we're being affected getting an expectation of something that's not not wrong, but is nearly right. We could so easily go through wrong, through wrong teaching and wrong interpretation of Scripture, with wrong expectations of God, and particularly about prayer. Oh well, wow, I wish we had time to talk about prayer this morning, but I just want to comment on. I read this portrait. Great, is, is it up there? Sadly prayer for many of us has been shrunk to an agenda that is little bigger than asking God for stuff. It has become that spiritual place where we ask God to sign our personal wish list. For many years it's little more than a repeated cycle of requesting followed by waiting to see if if God in fact comes through. If he does we celebrate his faithfulness, love but if he doesn't we not only wonder if he cares or perhaps we even wonder whether he hears. we're also tempted to wonder if he's there in this way prayer often amounts to shopping at the Trinitarian that's the three in one God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit Trinitarian department store for things you have been told yourself you need you've told yourself you need with the hope that they will be before you is that is that how I pray? I'm conscious so often that I come to God with choo, 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 list of things. Our understanding of prayer, if it's not right, we can find ourselves so easily disappointed when prayer is not answered in the way that we are, want it. Yeah. I always feel God answers prayer every time. It's either yes, no, or wait. Or it's not he is he is there but god doesn't give us what we want he gives us what we need he knows what we need you know i was thinking a number of years ago a friend pete and i we were sitting talking and talking about 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 prayer and how so easily in prayer we can reverse the relationship between jesus being our lord and us being His Lord, Lord, would you do this? Would you do that? Can you sort that out? Can you sort? And suddenly we find we are sitting there as Lord, or kneeling there, or wherever we're praying, demanding of Jesus to do these things. When Jesus gives at the request of the disciples the model for prayer, he starts by recognizing. Our Father in heaven, who is the creator of the universe, is to be hallowed. I've really been struck again, Matt and I were talking about it. I've struck again by the Lord's Prayer. He gave us this model, and, I want, and I, I've been applying it much more in my private, personal prayer life now. He's the one who created you and saved you, not because you were worthy. We are not worthy in any shape or form for our salvation. We must be clear about that. We are not worthy but as Paul says we have been saved we're going to be those uh, inexpressible riches of his grace all to the praise of your glory Jesus then exhorts us in, in in this model prayer to pray that God's kingdom will come God's will be done as it is in heaven the emphasis here is God and his will but not me and my will. You know, we're seeing it's all about Jesus. Sometimes it can be all about us, can't it? Trip goes on to say: this prayer, the Lord's prayer, is a prayer of worship and surrender. It recognizes at the deepest level of the war that goes on in my heart between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. So we need to be careful, we have a right expectation in prayer. So having looked at some of the areas where we can be disappointed. What can we expect? I've only got two points, that and this now. What can we expect as a Christian? Well, there are many promises in Scripture that we could at this point reference, but we don't have time. That if we rightly understand, we could put our trust in. But this morning, I want to use the Apostle Paul's response to the arguments that were going on in Rome about what they could eat or drink as a Christian, where they were putting the wrong emphasis on their religious observances, the rules, if you like, of being a Christian. And Paul says this in Romans 14 verse 17, and this is exactly what I quoted to that guy who said about the Christian life. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thomas Schreiner says, the kingdom of God consists in his transforming power, induction into his eternal peace and supernatural joy. Read that again. The kingdom of God consists in his transforming power, induction into his eternal, ex, eternal peace and supernatural joy. All these three gifts, the gifts of righteousness, peace and joy are all gifts of the spirit. When we're born again of the spirit of God, these are given to us. As Christians, we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus' 30 year, three years of sinless perfection has been given to, to us in exchange for our years of rebellion and sin. Without being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we couldn't stand in the presence of God. We may be forgiven. He goes to the cross, can, we can be forgiven of our sins, but unless we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we cannot stand before a holy God. It is not possible. We cannot be in God's presence. But this once off act that God declared over us when we came to trust in Jesus, gifted us to, by the Holy Spirit, guarantees our inheritance and our place in heaven. In Christ's perfective righteousness, we now stand in. So complete that one day we'll be able to stand clothed in his righteousness without stain or blemish absolutely spotless before a holy God. Secondly, we can experience to be at peace with God. No longer enemies, we often sing, the song says, but now seated at his table. Once we were enemies, but now seated at table. We're no longer under the crushing power of sin. We've been freed from the power of sin that would condemn us. Paul was confident in this when he writes, there is therefore now no condemnation No condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. We're at peace with God. Not just the peace of God. Peace with him. Righteousness. Peace. Nothing can separate this peace, this love that we're joined with, with the Father. And thirdly, supernatural joy. When we come to Christ and understand that our sins are forgiven, past, present and future, that we're now reconciled, by God, adopted by God into his family, no longer enemies, but in peace with God. Then, as Peter says, 1 Peter, then we are filled, filled with an inexpressible joy. joyous with joy that is inexpressible. This is, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a work that only the Holy Spirit do. this joy is not to be confused with happiness happiness is an emotion that can come and go but this joy is deep seated and uphold us even in times of unhappiness how many times have i been with someone who who've lost a loved one there's a, there's a pain there's, but while they experience the pain of a loss of a loved one or the pain of a serious sickness they've still been able to confess to the joy of the Lord being their strength. Unhappy? Tears? Yes. But with the joy that is based in Christ. All these states are the work of the Spirit and it is the work of God in our lives that he will complete. In Philippians 1, Paul writes, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The disappointment of the Jewish crowd, seeing the person they thought would bring them from free from freedom into freedom from the tyranny of Rome would be the very person who would be by going to the cross if they had put their trust in him, would have freed them from their con- from the condemnation that hangs over them for their sin. As Paul Tripp says the most horrible thing that ever happened was the most wonderful thing that ever happened. the grave injustice. Meted out to Jesus on the cross is at the same time the greatest demonstration of grace. Because of his sinless life, we are made righteous. Because of his sacrifice, we have eternal peace and joy. And because of his death, we live. The cross was no accident. We see prophecy fulfilled in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. We see Prophecy fulfilled in Christ's death and resurrection. There was great disappointment amongst the Jews because of wrong expectations. But, but, for us, this side of the cross, we don't see the cross as a disappointment. I trust you don't. Or as a disaster. But it is a glorious, glorious victory. And one thing I am really confident of, one thing I'm above all else jesus will never ever disappoint us let's pray lord thank you that you never have been a disappointment to us thank you lord that you have brought us into your family You've revealed yourself to us. No longer enemies. But now, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, at peace with you, and a joy that we can only find in you. Lord, with you, as your people, give us grace and understanding so that we will put our understanding into things that we won't be disappointed because we had the wrong expectations. Lord, as we look forward to Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection, but Lord, the cross, the cross is the most wonderful thing that has ever taken place, the turning point in all of history. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your plan of salvation established in eternity past, Fulfilled in Christ, when upon the cross he cries, it is finished. That work is done. There is nothing more to be done. Lord, help us to focus on the things that we can expect so that, Lord, we will not be disappointed just as the Jews were. Lord, now as we we turn to sing, we sing about the power of the cross. We're going to sing the song, Oh to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, now to a cross of wood. This, this, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We now stand forgiven at the cross. Let's stand and sing this song.